Two of the nation's premier college basketball programs, Gonzaga and Kentucky, have agreed to a monstrous six-year non-conference series that will conclude with a game at the McCarthy Athletic Center in 2027. More on that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast. Don't go away. You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to bring you news and updates on all things Zag athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by Underdog. Sign up on underdogfantasy.com with the promo code Locked On and get your first deposit doubled up to $100. All right, today we are talking about a handful of different things here as we close out the first week of October and the final week before we get to see the Zags in action. The first time we get to see Efton Reed, Malachi Smith, Kellen Mitchell, many others in a Gonzaga uniform. Very, very exciting stuff for Craziness in the Kennel on Saturday, of course. Today, though, we are talking about the Kentucky Wildcats, John Calipari, everybody's favorite non-Mark Few coach for the Gonzaga Bulldogs, of course. The Zags and the Cats are going to get real familiar with each other so far in their storied history, two of the best programs in college basketball. They've only met once in 2002 during the Maui Invitational. That is the only time Gonzaga and Kentucky have played each other somehow. That's all about to change, of course. November 20th at the Spokane Arena will be the first matchup. We knew that game was happening. We knew a return game at Rupp Arena next season was going to happen. But we got word from Coach Mark Few, this was announced during the WCC Media Day, of course, Kentucky announced it as well, that this is not just going to be a two-game situation. They've added four more games, and this series is going to continue all the way until 2027. I love the way they did this. You guys know that I've been a little bit critical of Coach Calipari and how this situation came to be. I still think there's a little bit of reason to be maybe apprehensive about this situation, but... Credit where credit is due. We asked for John Calipari and the Kentucky Wildcats to play at the kennel, and that is part of the plan. Now, it's not going to be until 2027, the rest of the games in order. Of course, Spokane Arena this year, Rupp Arena next year. The following game during the 2024-2025 season is going to be in Seattle. It's not confirmed, but it's going to be played at Climate Pledge Arena. Mark Few mentioned that in an interview with Andy Katz of the NCAA. So that sounds like the plan there. That's fantastic. The Zags, of course, played at Climate Pledge Arena already against Alabama in the battle in Seattle this past season. Will be a very cool opportunity to play there again. One of the most marquee basketball games that's going to happen at Climate Pledge Arena, of course, between now and then, who knows what's going to happen. Perhaps there will be some more movement to get the NBA back in Seattle, something that is long, long overdue to happen. But this is the kind of game that should absolutely be happening in Seattle. It's more fun when the games are at the home arenas. I've long believed that, but they should absolutely have marquee non-conference games in big major metropolitan areas whenever possible. This game being played at Seattle that season is fantastic. The return game in 25-26 is going to be in Nashville. 
also a very cool opportunity for folks who who live in big areas who are fans of Kentucky. Maybe there are Gonzaga fans in Nashville too. I'm sure that there are. Shout out if you are a Gonzaga fan listening to this podcast in the Nashville area. Hopefully you can get a chance to go to that game. Very, very cool opportunity. 26-27 season, the game we played at Rupp Arena again. And then finally... According to the calendar released by the Zags, the graphic that came out, the game in 2027-2028 will be at the McCarthy Athletic Center. The Kennel Calipari has agreed to come to the Kennel. Of course, it's five years from now. A lot could change, but that is still an exciting opportunity for the Zags to host a really, really marquee team at the Kennel. They've done it with North Carolina. They've done it with Texas. We've seen that it can be successful. Yes, the kennel is small. 6,000 is a small arena. I'm not pretending that it's not a small arena, but I think it's good for college basketball for teams to be willing to actually play home-and-home as opposed to neutral site games that are vaguely home-and-home. I don't mind it occasionally. I said this on the podcast before. I think the Gonzaga and Alabama series, the way that that came together, I really like that. I think the game in Seattle and then the return game in Birmingham worked great. And I'm I'm not critical at all of Gonzaga playing Kentucky in Seattle and then the return game being in Nashville. That part of this six-game series is awesome. I think that that's fantastic, and I think more teams should strive to play games like that. But I also think it's really fun when those games, especially marquee games like that, happen at teams' home arenas. I think that's fun. I think it's fun to get... College students involved in the game, they have routines, they have everything that they do at at sporting events. We, of course, know about the epic routine at Gonzaga home games with Zombie Nation, with everything else that they do. I think it's really fun to see games happen like that. So I'm glad that Gonzaga and Kentucky, despite there being a lot of animosity, some kind of consternation between the two sides about this game, Kentucky fans thinking that Gonzaga fans are, are overreacting to the game being at the Spokane Arena, which is obviously not far from Gonzaga's campus. Gonzaga fans being upset that John Calipari kind of called out their stadium and said, we would never play in a stadium that small, etc., etc. That kind of makes it more fun, though. College basketball at its core is for college students. It's a intense, heated rivalry. This isn't really, again, they've only played each other one time, so it's not exactly a rivalry, but this is how you start rivalries. This is how these things kind of come together. Gonzaga and Kentucky are two of the best teams in college basketball for the last two decades. Them playing each other for the next six years is unquestionably good for the sport. There's no other way to look at it. It is good for college basketball that these two teams are willing to play each other for the next six years. I'm extremely excited about this. I've been critical of Cal, like I said, not criticizing him now, happy about this, excited for this upcoming game. I think it's going to be a fantastic one. We're, of course, going to preview the individual matchups happening in that game a little bit later on. We'll talk about the Oscar Shubway versus Drew Timmy matchup, what that's going to look like. Kentucky has a couple of outstanding young freshmen joining their team in Cason Wallace, Chris Livingston, going to be a really, really good squad for Calipari squad this year. Probably going to be really good for the next five or six years, as they typically are, as long as Cal's at the helm. I have no doubt that Gonzaga is going to remain a really, really good squad as well. So this is going to be a really, really fun game. Shout out Mark Few, shout out John Calipari for getting this one on the calendar for the next half decade. Get your tickets now, if you can, as soon as those tickets are available uh, for those Climate Pledge games. As soon as we know the dates for Climate Pledge, Nashville, for those of you out there, of course, the kennel is going to be a really, really hard ticket. But I think there's some opportunity for some all-time classic non-conference college basketball games to happen during this series. And I'm really pumped that these two coaches got this one on the calendar. 
All right, in the second segment, we're going to come back and we're going to give some analysis on the WCC preseason rankings and all conference selections, which came out during the media period on Wednesday, or excuse me, on Thursday in, in Las Vegas at the Orleans Arena. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you all about Underdog. This episode is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to spice up college basketball season. It's crazy easy to sign up and get started, and each game can be a different bet or pick em choice for your favorite Gonzaga stars. You think Drew Timmy's going to score more than 18 points against the Kentucky Wildcats this year? Bet on it. Go drop. Go to the Upside app, drop your bet. It's easy money. Bet Timmy, you can bet one to four other players. They can be Gonzaga players. They don't have to be Gonzaga players, and you can win cold, hard cash. Sign up with the promo code Locked On one word, and Underdog will double your first deposit of up to $100. So deposit $100, get $100 free. Go to underdogfantasy.com or find the Underdog Fantasy app in the App Store or Google Play Store. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code Locked On. Get in on the college basketball pick'em action today. Right, segment number two, still Eddie Patton, still locked on Zach. We're still talking all about the WCC. College basketball is back, y'all, and I want to thank you for making Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. I also want to thank all of you who are watching the show, who are checking the show out on YouTube. It's a very fast-growing YouTube channel. We're very close to our goal of 1,000 subscribers. For those of you who are listening who have not done so yet, just go to YouTube.com, search Locked On Zags. You'll see that big red subscribe button. Hit that button. You'll join the channel, a big collection of diehard Gonzaga fans all waiting to interact in the comment section. Very, very excited for the YouTube channel this upcoming season. All right, we're talking WCC. We're talking preseason rankings for both the men and the women in the final two segments. Uh, The preseason rankings came out on the men's side, and unsurprisingly, Gonzaga received the maximum number of votes that they were able to receive. They got 81 total points, nine first-place votes, which is the maximum they can get as coaches are not allowed to vote for themselves. So the Zags projected to be the preseason champions in the WCC once again. Not exactly a surprise there. The rest of it shook out somewhat unsurprisingly to me. I think there are a few things in there that that might surprise some folks, but uh, for the most part, it looks generally as it has in years in previous seasons. Outside of Gonzaga, St. Mary's is, of course, second. Randy Bennett and the Gales have... There's really no reason. I think Tuck said it on the most recent episode when we did our WCC head coach power rankings. Bet against St. Mary's finishing second in the WCC at your own peril. This team is continually right there. They haven't quite reached that level of Gonzaga, but if the Zags weren't in the WCC, it's not hard to imagine that this team would be maybe not exactly like Gonzaga. Certainly they don't have the similar style on the basketball court as Gonzaga, but it's hard not to imagine that they would be a perennial NCAA tournament team and and a tough out uh, in March. Outside of that, BYU and USF tied for number three in the conference. This was a bit of a surprise to me. BYU usually gets top three votes, almost always gets top three votes. So I'm not really surprised that they continued to get top three votes, but this roster is a little bit questionable. They didn't have a great year last year. They had a few good additions in the off season. Rudy Williams is a great addition from Coastal Carolina, but I'm not 100% sold on this program for this upcoming season, at least. San Francisco, I think 
deserves some love. Obviously, they made the NCAA tournament last year, first time since 1998. We're talking about a team that lost Yuhen Masalski, that lost Jamari Bouye, that lost their head coach, Todd Golden. They returned Khalil Shabazz. They returned Jordan Rishwain. Those are really nice pieces for them to have. They added some new players as well, a couple transfers. I think they're going to be good. Them and BYU, kind of a toss-up. I guess it makes sense that they tied at number three. Uh, University of Portland came in next at fifth. This is the highest that UP has been ranked in the WCC preseason rankings since the 2015 season. Shout out Shante Leggins. Incredible job so far with the Portland Pilots. It has been fantastic what they have been able to do with that program. In just one year, it helps when you're able to turn over your entire roster, which is what he did in year one. Got a handful of transfers from Eastern, a handful of transfers from other places, put together a very solid squad, returned a lot of those players for this season. I think they're going to be a really tough out by every team in the WCC this year. There's your top five right there, six through 10. Santa Clara comes in six. They, of course, lost so much talent from last year's team. P.J. Pipes is out the door. Rankich is out the door. Jalen Williams, of course, the 12th overall pick in the NBA draft. He's out the door. Seventh is Pepperdine, a team that did not do well last year but had a lot of really good young talent. Houston Millette, Maxwell Lewis, Mike Mitchell, really good young core of players. I think that team could really surprise some people. Then you have Steve Lavin, San Diego Toreros coming in at eight. LMU Lions at nine. The Pacific Tigers at 10. San Diego is an interesting spot because Steve Lavin, obviously a high-profile coach, Longtime head coach for the UCLA Bruins, longtime head coach at St. John's, made multiple NCAA tournaments, has had a lot of success, obviously has coached in the Pac-12 in the Big East. He come, he leaves the coaching industry for a long time, goes into broadcasting, gets back into coaching, takes this job at USD, immediately poaches a couple of talented players from the Pac-12, Jaden Delaire from Stanford, Eric Williams from Oregon. Then there's a report that comes out that maybe it was his staff members who did a lot of that kind of heavy lifting for him, which is totally understandable that, you know, previous staff members would do some of that work. He kind of let them do all of that work and then unceremoniously fired them. That was a story that got a lot of attention uh, in the early part of the summer, shortly after it happened. Not exactly the kind of press that you want before you've ever coached your first basketball game. Clearly, the people voting here weren't super enthused about what USD is going to do this season. I'm very fascinated to watch what this team does, but I am also not quite ready to to crown Steve Lavin and the San Diego Toreros as some big upstart team. I kind of want to see what it looks like first. That's the, that's the main breakdown there. Uh, we also saw the 10-man all-WCC team, of course, continues to get criticism. The WCC is not the only conference to do this. The Big Ten released their all-Big Ten preseason team with 11 players on it, which is just ridiculous. I get it. The WCC does 10. 11 is only one more than 10. But what are we doing? These preseason teams should be five people. I, I'm not somebody who's really overly concerned about this. It's more people to talk about, more players getting recognized. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, but at some point it starts to get a little ludicrous. 11... Just doesn't even make sense. 10 barely makes sense. 11 absolutely doesn't make sense. For the WCC, three of those 10 players were, of course, Gonzaga Bulldogs. That would be Rasir Bolton, Drew Timmy, Julian Strother. Not a surprise that those three players were selected there. Only one other team had multiple players on the all-WCC team. That is the Gales of St. Mary's, Alex Dukas, and Logan Johnson, each earning that honor for the Gales. 
Outside of that, the other nominees for this team were Fusini Traore from BYU, Khalil Shabazz at San Francisco, Keyshawn Justice, sharpshooter for the Santa Clara Broncos, Houston Millette for Pepperdine, who is already starting to get some potential NBA draft buzz, and then Tyler Robertson, the do-it-all forward for the Portland Pilots. This feels like the right team to me. These teams tend to not have newcomers to the conference, particularly transfers. I think Rudy Williams at BYU could end up finding his way onto this team. I think Malachi Smith at Gonzaga could end up finding his way onto this team as well. I'm not entirely surprised that those two players were not selected for this team in the first place. And I think there's a lot of high-end talent in the WCC. A lot of guys that, that normally might have left. Normally, Khalil Shabazz wouldn't necessarily be back. Obviously, Drew Timmy normally would not be back. Tyler Robertson, not normally back. So it's kind of nice to see some of these guys come back, add some more high-level talent to the WCC. It's going to be a fantastic year in the West Coast Conference. I'm really excited to see what these teams end up shaking out, how this how this ends up looking, how this 10-team all-WCC team ends up looking at the end of the year. Uh, but I think that this this looks like a pretty good list. I think this is... Uh, pretty close to the top 10 players that's going to end up happening in the WCC. But of course, there's always surprises. That's what makes college basketball so fun. All right, folks, we're going to come back in the third and final segment. We're going to take a look at the WCC rankings and preseason all WCC squad on the women's side. We're also going to give an update on a former Zag who is back with the team. All right, third and final segment here Locked On Zags podcast still Andy Patton here your host we're switching over to talk about the women's basketball WCC preseason rankings and just like it happened on the men's side the women were unanimously selected to win the WCC they earned every first place vote that was available to them coach Lisa Fortier has this team in an incredible spot heading into the upcoming season and they're they're going to be they're going to be really really good just like the Zags. Not only were they unanimously selected number one, they also had three Zags on the All WCC team. One of them was Vani Ejim, who is the sixth woman of the year last year, stepping into a bigger role this year now that Melody Kempton is out the door. She was also All WCC second team last year, so I expecting some really big things from her. The other two are, of course, the Trung Twins, who had an outstanding season last year, respectively. They then played in Vietnam over the summer, talked about how incredible of an experience that was for them to get a chance to go back to uh, their roots, to be back to their home country and kind of get an opportunity to play in front of Vietnamese women's basketball fans and kind of see the the passion of that group of fans there. Uh, There's a previous podcast a couple months ago where I had some audio from them talking about that experience. Highly recommend checking it out if you haven't done so yet. It was a very, very fun conversation. Uh, I've always enjoyed that, that. One thing we've kind of seen a lot with the WCC is that it's not that uncommon for the teams to be somewhat similar on the men's side and the women's side. If you have a really good men's basketball team, you often have a really good women's basketball team as well and vice versa. It's kind of funny to see how that doesn't often change. Good example here. It's very unusual for BYU to not be second or first in the WCC preseason rankings. This year, they are third. And the team in second place, just like how they have momentum on the men's side, momentum on the women's side as well. That is the Portland Pilots. They have had a lot of momentum the last couple of years. They should have made the NCAA tournament in 2020. And I don't mean should have as in they got robbed. I mean, they quite literally deserved to go to the NCAA tournament. They won the WCC. They were going to go for the first time in a long time. Of course, COVID-19 
ended the NCAA tournament before it was able to get started. So this team kind of got robbed of that opportunity. They have maintained themselves as a top tier program in the WCC. Now they head into the season with a chance to potentially play spoiler and potentially make make the NCAA tournament again, something that they didn't actually get to do last time. I'm sure they're very, very hungry for it over there on the bluff. And I think that they're going to be a really, really tough out this year. BYU's third, followed by San Francisco, again, right next to each other once again. St. Mary's is behind that. San Diego, LMU, Santa Clara, Pacific, and Pepperdine. So, like, again, it's kind of, you sort of start to see the same teams. This is not entirely surprising. Obviously, there are things that make sense that they would kind of line up together. Budget concerns, donor relations, things like that, where if the men's side is struggling, it's not surprising that the women's side might be struggling as well. Certainly there are some anomalies in here. St. Mary's has not been particularly good on the women's side, but they have, of course, been a very, very good program on the men's side. But it's still kind of interesting to see that you start to see some patterns emerge when you start to read these um, these preseason rankings year in and year out. Again, Trunk Twins and Vani Ejim were the two, or the three, excuse me, selections for the all WCC team from Gonzaga. Only one other school had more than one selection, just like we had on the men's side. Instead of being St. Mary's, here it is, of course, the University of Portland. Haley Andrews and Alex Fowler from the Pilots were selected for the WCC team. Outside of that, Lauren Gustin from BYU, Ali Bernberger from St. Mary's, Ariel Johnson from LMU, Iona Cremili from San Francisco, and Maya Pace from the San Diego Toreros rounds out the all WCC team. The final note that I want to say here on our final episode of the week, Zach Norvell's back. Snacks, the man they call Snacks, is back with the Zags. There's a report about this on Thursday morning, later confirmed by Mark Few during the WCC media availability in Las Vegas. Norvell's back with the Zags right now. He's in a student assistant role. He's taking classes. He's taking undergrad classes because you know, he left a little bit early. He, he did spend three years taking classes at Gonzaga. So three years of, of three full seasons at Gonzaga with some summer classes as well as they, most student athletes, most basketball players in particular, takes take summer classes because they show up early for school and, and start working out ahead of time. There's a pretty good chance that he's not very far away from getting his undergrad degree. Obviously, always a proponent of players coming back and getting their degrees. It's always so important to have, if you came so close to getting that piece of paper in the first place, you might as well go out and get it when you have the opportunity to do so. Norvell is also rehabbing an injury. I don't have very many details on that because there just aren't really a lot of details out about that. The things that I can tell you, he has not played a competitive basketball game professionally since the 2019-2020 season, his first professional year after he left Gonzaga. He, of course, left Gonzaga in 2019, declared for the NBA draft, was not selected, ended up signing with the Los Angeles Lakers, appeared in a handful of games with them, I think two games with the Lakers, and then three games with the Golden State Warriors during that very strange 1920 season. It was the weird COVID year. It was interrupted. There was a whole lot of kind of chaos. The bubble, of course, happened that year as well. So he played in five NBA games. He also played in 36 games in the G League as well. Really good numbers there. I think about 15 points, four and a half rebounds per game. Uh, he played in South Bay and in Santa Cruz. South Bay is the Lakers G League affiliate. Santa Cruz, of course, the Warriors G League affiliate. So we've seen this. We've seen Norvell have success. We, we know as Gonzaga fans what he's capable of as a basketball player. He was extraordinarily good at Gonzaga. Sweet stroke from the left side. 
Hellraiser when he attacked the rim, very tenacious defensive player, really nice step back shot, just just a, a well-rounded, talented basketball player, good size combo guard, about 6'5", a little thin, a little skinny, but that's the kind of thing that, that you can work on a little bit as you, as you get older, as you get a little bit more mature. It's unfortunate that Zach hasn't been able to stay healthy. It's unfortunate that the, the NBA is ruthless. If you are not drafted, if you if you start your NBA career without a guaranteed contract, the odds of getting one are it's just really hard. It's really really hard. That's why we celebrate so hard on this podcast with somebody like Killy until he does it because he did. He was undrafted. He had injury issues. He was hurt during his professional career, but he played well enough with the Memphis Grizzlies to secure a guaranteed contract. That is really really hard to do. I thought Zach Norvell would do it. There's still a chance that he does. I don't think that it's worth completely giving up here. It is obviously a tough hurdle to see him still not sign. He's been out for a couple of years. He's obviously choosing to kind of take a step back right now while he's rehabbing, get his degree taken care of, work with the student athletes. I don't know much about that capacity. It's probably a very limited capacity in which he is working with the team. It's still a good thing. Good for Norvell if this is where he wants to be. Good for him for getting his degree because it sets him up well in life, regardless of what happens with his professional basketball playing career. But beyond that, really good for Gonzaga's guards. Hunter Salas is going to learn a lot from Zach Norvell. I mean, what a great player for him to see, for him to pick his brain, talk to him. Again, tenacious defensive players. You know, Salas is working on his outside shot. That hasn't been a, a big part of his game yet, but who better to learn from than somebody like Zach Norvell, who shot 37% on the dot in each of his two seasons in a Gonzaga uniform. I think this is a great, great for Zach Norvell. I'm sad that it is not a step forward in his professional basketball playing career, although I'm hesitant to call it a step back. He's not necessarily retiring. He's not necessarily giving up. He, he's he's rehabbing. He's he's in a place where he can get his work in, get his shots up, you know, continue to get healthier and healthier day by day, work with basketball players, maybe coaching, maybe that kind of industry is something that he's considering. What a cool opportunity to kind of see it, to get those experiences, again, to get that that, that degree, which sets you up for life in a lot of different ways. I'm excited for Zach Norvell. I'm a little sad for Zach Norvell. I know that one of the the predominant conversations that has happened around Zach Norvell the last couple of years is that he should have stayed. He did not need to leave early. He obviously had a couple more years of eligibility. Certainly it would have helped Gonzaga had he stayed. He would have been there for the 1920 season, which they already got the number one seed and we're going to probably, or got, we're the number one ranked team and we're going to get a number one seed in the NCAA tournament before the tournament got canceled, so hard to say what would have happened there because we don't know what actually happened. We don't know what happened. There's, there was nothing to happen in that situation, unfortunately. I would also like to point out that what actually has happened to Zach Norvell is sort of an argument against him having returned to school. I don't know exactly the, the situation around his injury, but it's possible he would have gotten hurt regardless of whether he'd come back to Gonzaga or not. And he didn't earn a huge amount of money playing professional basketball in this last year. But if he had stayed at Gonzaga before NIL was a rule that, that allowed him to make any money off his name, image, and likeness, and he had gotten hurt there, he might not have made any money. 
So yes, there's it's it's the two sides of a coin. He could have come back to Gonzaga. He could have had a monstrous junior year or redshirt junior year during that 1920 season. He could have declared for the NBA draft after that. Maybe he would have gotten drafted. Heck, maybe he would have pushed himself all the way into the first round. Now he's a millionaire. That's a very possible situation. I don't want to pretend that that's not something that could have happened. But he also might have returned to school and gotten hurt or still played well, but not gotten drafted. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it would have gone in a positive direction. I think before NIL, and again, this is no longer a relevant point because NIL will always, hopefully, always be a part of a college basketball player's decision about whether they're going to go pro or not. But for Norvell, it was not. He wanted to make money. He wanted to get that bag. It didn't work out the way that he hoped. Again, there's still optimism that it could. His story is not over. But I think that the sentiment that he should have stayed, people often look at the he should have stayed and they look at it from the lens of how he would have helped Gonzaga. But And yeah, obviously players want to be there for their program. They want to be, you know, he's clearly still here, still involved with Spokane, with Gonzaga. He's obviously a fan of the program, but... I think there's there's always more to it than that. I don't know, you know, his family's financial situation. I'm not going to dig into that. That's not any of my business, but that is a, a tremendous part of this conversation. Norvell took a risk. He took a shot. He went out. He, he started his professional basketball career earlier than, than maybe some people thought that he should have, and it hasn't worked out. And it's easy to look back on that with 2020 vision and hindsight and say, well, obviously he should have stayed. And maybe it would have been better for him. Maybe not. I don't know. And again, his story's not over. His story is not over. This thing could turn around for him very easily. Who knows exactly what's going to happen? I think that lamenting what he did or didn't do is not really doing anybody any favors. I'm happy he's around the program right now. I'm happy he's helping some of the guys out. I'm hopeful that he is continuing to get healthier and healthier and that he is going to be in a position where he can potentially play professional basketball. Whether it's in the NBA, whether it's in the G League, whether it's overseas, I just want him to be able to get back playing the game of basketball professionally because I know that is what he has wanted to do for his entire life. All right, that is going to do it for me today. And for this week, more player previews coming next week. Of course, reaction to craziness in the kennel, 4 p.m., on Saturday. Check it out. I'm going to be live tweeting the whole event. Very, very excited to get to interact with you while we actually have some live basketball to watch. We're going to have a bunch of recaps on that right here on the Locked On Zags podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts and available on YouTube as well. Finally, thank you again to those of you who have made Locked On Zags your first listen of the day. Locked On WCC doesn't exist yet, but you can get more informed on the West Coast happenings by making Locked On Pac-12 your second listen of the day. Host Spencer McLaughlin and the local experts of Locked On take you across the Pac-12 in 30 minutes, five times per week. All right, thank you all for listening, and go Zags.